Let me just tell you a little bit about me so you know why I'm here and why would I do what I do. I live just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my husband and I have eight children and six grandchildren. And in 1995, I was a patient in a mental hospital. So welcome to your afternoon So that's my story. And I hope you won't think I'm too flip about mental illness. But if you do, I would say that's my story. That's how I share it. And that's the story that brings me to you today. So welcome, friends, to Consider Yourself Hugged, episode 32. Today's hug, I about killed my dang wife. Choosing your words. Actually, the word wasn't dang, but I don't want to have a potty mouth on my podcast. I am Dr. Tammy West here every week to bring you tips on living a life that brings you mental and emotional well-being. So here's the story. Last Wednesday, Tim and I had just flown home from California, which was wonderful, by the way. We just spent a few days there, and it was just heavenly. And we were, so we, so we flew in, we landed in Nashville, and we got on the rental car shuttle to take us over to get our car. And there were, I think, four other men plus the driver on the shuttle. And obviously, these guys were frequent travelers. You know, they, they chatted about which airport was the worst and which airport was the best and who'd been here and who'd been there. You know, all that stuff that frequent flyers tend to do. Well, someone brought up an airport. I think it was in London. Like at this point, it was kind of funny because Tim and I have always, you know, he flies a lot now and I used to fly more so than I do now, but we were just kind of laughing like, oh my goodness. So I wasn't really listening, but at some point someone said something about an airport. I think it was in London. And the next thing I knew I was hearing because this man, he was probably in his 60s. I don't know, a little bit older than us. And he said, I about killed my dad, you know, wife. And then he went on to tell the rest of this story. Something like, we were in an international terminal and I had to leave to go somewhere. At least I think that's what he said. And I told her to stay. Okay, now I might be exaggerating some. Maybe he said, I told her to stay right there. But his hand like moved forward and down as if he were telling a dog to stay. My husband gently patted me on the leg because he knew I was about to come out of that seat. And I didn't. I was fine. So he finished, this man did, he finished his just adorable little story about how he finally found her. All the men laughed. We got there and we disembarked from our fun little journey. Now look, I get it. If you're a man listening, you're probably thinking, geez, you know, that's just what guys do. We don't mean anything by it. I really hesitate at this point getting political, and I'm not really trying to be political, but many of you probably, you might remember during the Trump campaign, that video, he was getting, he was getting on a bus and he was talking to some of the guys about women and he had some pretty crude things to say. Um, Google it. I don't want to put the link in there. But the defense was, it's just what men do. It's locker room talk. Okay, and also let me say, by the way, about this particular man, that I have no right to judge their marriage based on that one interaction, although I'm totally doing all sorts of judging, but I realize I have no, I have no room to judge. All I know is what I heard. Okay, so back to the whole, it's just what men do, it's locker room talk. We could also say the same thing for women. Women sometimes get together and they complain about their husbands or whatever it is about in life. It happens, people bond over it. Today, I want to spend a few minutes altering our view of language from, well, it just happens to, no, we make choices 
and we need to become more aware of those choices. I also feel like I need to tell you that I have a cold because as I'm actually talking, I have I don't think I've talked much all day. <clears throat> I hear that coming out. So sorry if I sound sort of bleh, it's because I have a cold. All right, back to content. So sometimes I do keynotes and breakout sessions that give me the opportunity to talk about language. I talk about language a lot. And over the past couple of months, I have been putting in a couple of slides that people seem to connect with. Um, and, and it has to do with how we use language. So I'll explain that in just a little bit. Because I'm constantly talking about words, I felt it would be helpful if I did an actual episode that was a little bit more in depth about how we use language. Part of this comes from chapter three of my book, The Stress Club. Of course, I'll put a link here. If you don't have it, I would love for you to have it. So feel free, get it, dive in more. And if you're really dying for more, because The Stress Club was written just as a general type of self-help book, I am posting a link here to my actual dissertation in PDF form if you're really crazy and want to read it. It's called Women Constructing Identities, The Discursive Construction of Stressed Out in Women's Conversations. Doesn't that sound riveting? So the, the, the study itself was about how women use their speech um, and create their identities, but there's a lot in there about language as well because that's part of my study. And I'll also put a link to my final oral review on YouTube, which is under an hour. So if you're interested, that's probably from, from more general information to more detailed. It goes stress club. A little more detailed is my final oral review. A lot more detailed is the actual dissertation. So grab you some coffee or a beverage of your choice and let's dive in first here. Think about this scenario. You're ticked off at somebody. Maybe you're mad at if you have a spouse, a child, a friend, a coworker. You're brooding for a while. And then this person notices and says to you, are you mad? And you say, okay, I hope that you'll all be saying it with me wherever you're listening. You say, no, you've done it, right? Your arms might be crossed. You may have rolled your eyes. Inside, you're planning a slow and painful death for this person, but you say no. Well, that's language. That's words. Most definitions of language will include some element of that, that language is an insight into your mind and into your heart. That, I mean, that makes sense, right? Someone will ask you how you feel about something or what you think about something, and you tell them. So language comes from your mind or your heart. It's not that that's not true. I think it's part true, but think of it this way. If language truly is an insight into your mind and or your heart, then you're not mad, right? Because you said no. Well, of course you're mad. And look, I know tone and all that has to do with it too, but the words that you said were no. And if that's all that language is, then you're not mad, but you're mad. So discursive psychology, that is the field that I study. It helps to explain a part of this. It's a model of action, not just one of thoughts. It's not an attempt to explain how you were feeling or what you were thinking when you said no. Discursive psychologists attempt to understand what we do with our language rather than the, the thoughts behind the words. So we believe that although thoughts definitely underlie our words, we can't reach those thoughts and evaluate them at all. Have you ever heard or maybe even said, well, she just thinks the entire world revolves around her. 
you've probably thought it or said it or heard it. That assumption is probably based on something that that woman said, probably over time. But there's no way we can know if she's thinking that. And honestly, she's probably not thinking, oh, the entire world revolves around me. She's probably not thinking that. But even if she was, we can't know. We can't put a microscope in her brain. We can't swab it and and do a test. There's no way we can do that. And even if we could... It wouldn't tell me anything, even if I could get a swab in her brain. She is the only one who truly knows what she is thinking. So what I'm saying about this field is we just believe that we cannot actually study what someone is thinking. But what we can do is study what she might be accomplishing with her words. We can study her actions. So we don't deny, discursive psychologists don't deny, we all have inner feelings, We all have experiences and thoughts, and of course, we all have thoughts behind our words, but no one has the scientific ability to study them. So when I did the study, which I'm not really going to talk about the study here, well, probably not at all really, but my study used that framework to focus on what women do when we talk, especially about stress. So the questions that we ask in the field of discursive psychology are, What word choices do we have before we get ready to talk? How do we use those words? What are we accomplishing during our conversations? How do we create realities and ourself during our talk? What are we accomplishing? In other words, talk is seen as purposeful, and it can even shape our realities. This is is probably a good place to stop with sort of the discursive psychology stuff and go back to the slides that I mentioned before. It's a fun, basic way to explain. Now, if you want more of the psychology, like the psychological terms and the research research stuff, refer back to the links that I mentioned earlier. But for now, let's just do something simple. The first slide I've been using, and you can look at it on the show notes if you want to, but I titled it Risk Management. And so you'll see if you're, maybe you're driving and you can't look at it right now, but the slide is a man glancing at a big white space that has lots of different choices available to him. And one element of this discursive psychology is that when we speak, we have multiple choices of words and phrases available to us, and we pick the ones we want to use based on the risk and what we're trying to, trying to accomplish. It's not something that, that's at the forefront of our brains. We don't realize that we're doing it, and that's the whole point of this episode is to make us more aware that we're doing it. So that's the first slide. Language is really risk management. And that's a phrase I've been using recently more than I have in the past that we're balancing. You know, it's this benefit versus risk. The second slide has three, basically three examples. And if you're not looking at that slide, it's okay too, because I'm going to say them here. The first example of how we use language is the I love you versus love you versus love ya. Now, when I, when I put that up in the slides in my sessions, people automatically kind of start nodding and smiling. You probably don't really consciously think about the choices that you make, but you choose one of those based on the boundaries that you're establishing. We see it all the time on Facebook too, by the way, using those three versions. So if I were to just see you and I don't know you very well, and I say, hey, love ya, you probably really wouldn't think much about it, especially if you're with me in the South, because we might say that more. 
But if I look at you and say, I love you, you might be like, um, excuse me, whoa, boundaries? Okay, and of course, I know tone and body language matter. But still, those are three very different ways of expressing love based on, so, so the action is establishing a boundary of that relationship. I hope that makes sense. The second example that I put on that slide, all it says is rounding up versus rounding down. Consider this. You bought a shirt for $29.99. Now, let's say you're married, and if you and your spouse are trying to be frugal, how much is that shirt when you tell him or her? It's $29.99, and it might even be, you might even use the word, if you say, it might even say $29, bucks, right? Because everyone knows that bucks are less than dollars, right? You say bucks, it sounds much cheaper. So you might say $29, bucks, or it was only $29.99. But what if you're irritated, like you loved the shirt, so you bought it, but you're irritated at the high prices of that store. Now how much is the shirt? Yeah, now the shirt is $30 plus tax. Do you see how that is a choice you may not have even really thought about before? The final uh, thing that I have on that slide is just a note that we also make word choices we may not be aware of in tough situations, when you're having difficult conversations. And that is for a deeper episode. Today, I just want to make you aware, basically, that we do make those choices. Now let's return to our man on the shuttle. You know, the, I about killed my, that word, wife. Why did he say that? Like, was he trying to, was he trying to impress the guys? Did he just want to fit in with the guys? Was he creating himself as a strong man? Was he like really mad at his wife? Was he making a statement about international travel? Did he feel bad later? Does he talk about his wife like that all the time? Had he had a bad day? We won't ever know. Like even if I were to randomly see him again, which I don't think I would recognize him, but even if I saw him again and I said, hey, why did you talk that way about your wife? I would not know because here's the bottom line, and I'm going to put this in a quote card in the show notes. No one can ever truly know what another person is thinking, ever. Remember what we said before? I'm not saying that people lie. I'm not saying they're deceitful. I'm not saying they cover the truth. I'm not not saying any of that. It's just that we use words and language based on what we're trying to accomplish. And so we may say things different in in a similar situation with two different people, or we, we just might change the language that we use. So I don't know. So no one can ever truly know what another person is thinking ever. But, and I think I'll put this in there too, so you can see it just really in big words, but you can get in touch with what you are thinking and why you say what you say. And you can make word choices more intentional. So for this episode, I'm just recommending something very simple and very quick for one week, a minimum of one week. Each time you have maybe a few seconds or a little bit of time before you you speak, or you know what, before you write for that matter, ask yourself this question. What am I trying to accomplish by these word choices? That's the question. And then 
intentionally decide if that's the direction you want to go or if you want to look at the word choices again. I promise your mind will become more in tune to your words and your communication level will be up just at a, at a higher level than you ever thought that it could. And by the way, as you know, on the show notes, I would love to hear some insights into your mind. You get insights into mine all the time. So it's time to turn the tables. So that is our time for today. I really hope you learned something that will help you better understand and therefore more intentionally choose the words you speak. Please pass the show link along as always to a friend or two and head over to TammyWest.com to get information if you would like for me to speak at your next event. And also you will find all of the pictures and the links and all the things that I talked about during this episode. The monthly giveaway will come still from leaving a comment on the show notes. So be sure to do that. It's still a consider yourself hugged mug, which you will love drinking your coffee out of or maybe even passing along to a friend. August winner is Leslie Smith. So thank you, Leslie. I will be in touch soon. And a big thank you to all of you for listening. Our community, yes, it is continuing to grow every single week. And finally, remembering our mental and emotional well-being goal, I hope that you will renew your thoughts daily, adopt empowering language that prevents verbal harm to yourself and others, and make positive mental and emotional choices every single day of your life. And until next time, consider yourself hugged.